Welcome to Just Curious Media. This is That's a Crime. I'm Jason Connell. And I'm Sal Rodriguez. All right, Sal. We are back for another crime. Yes, and I need this type of crime. <laughs> I need a crime with no casualties. Really, I, I, my soul needed it on this one. Fair enough. I can't make promises. There will be more of those. I know. But today, we're going to be breaking down the true crime story of the bank robber identified after 52 years in 1969. Yeah. These people that hide out in plain sight. I mean, you're thinking if you're running from the law, you got to be in some village somewhere, you know, paying off the local mayor. But yeah, these people, they're living in regular cities, living right near us. Yeah. This came across my radar and I was fascinated. I think I just love bank robber stories. There's just something about it. And this one caught my eye. We were going to do it last week, but it worked out better to do tonight and super excited. I think you may have a bit of a fantasy, Jason. (laughs) I've seen too many bank heist movies. (laughs) The perfect crime. Dog Day Afternoon, The Inside Man, and so many others. But all right, I'm ready to jump in. Jason, you think maybe most people have fantasized about pulling off a heist? Maybe. I don't even even know if I want to do it. I just like to see it done well. No, no. Like I said, uh, it's a fantasy. Yeah, total fantasy. You think people are standing in the bank like, how could I rob this place? (laughs) Uh, No, I'd be too intimidated. Cameras everywhere. You had to do it like in the 60s or 70s. That was the time. Well, and here we are. That was the window. Here we are. So Theodore John Conrad, born July 10th, 1949, died May 18th, 2021, was an American criminal who stole $215,000. Sal, you got that inflation calculator ready? Oh, yes. $215,000 is now in 2021 dollars, one point seven million dollars. And by the way, you and I love inflation calculator. I was reading an article, a random article the other day. And within the article, the person said, and in today's dollars, that would be, and I liked it. I really liked that they did that because it it gives you a frame of reference. Yeah, this is a lot of money because he stole this from a Cleveland bank in July, 1969. So yeah, $215,000, 1.7. Now you get an idea of how much he took. Oh, yeah. Well, he was never apprehended, and he lived out his life under an assumed name in Massachusetts, avoiding capture for more than five decades until he was identified after his death by the son of one of the original investigators. Wow. So, I love this crime and these types of crimes, as we just said, but this one, this is like a movie. I like the multi-generational detective thing. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm thinking who would play that in the movie, you know? See, you're already going there. And there's more about them as we get to that point. So early life, Conrad was born in Denver, Colorado, the son of Edward and Ruth Beth Conrad. His parents divorced while Conrad was in elementary school, and he moved with his mother and sister to Lakewood, Ohio. Now, by high school, Conrad had become quite popular amongst his peers and was elected to the student council. He was also thought to be very bright with an IQ of 135, which is moderately gifted. I was looking at the scales today, Sal, but have you ever taken one of those IQ tests? Actually, Jason, I have. I was officially screened, I guess. I was so young. I was about 10 or 11, and I took a battery of tests. I was then sent to the gifted magnet middle school, then called junior high. And by the way, that was not a good thing. That was, it was was not good. (laughs) You regretted it immediately. I was sort of a little superstar of the elementary school. And then all of a sudden, they took me to this, I didn't know anybody, I had to get bussed over there. It was all downhill from there, let's put it that way. Wow. Well, I took one of those tests, and it told me to study harder. (laughs) 
So no, I'm just kidding. You're athletic. You don't need to have the I'm high. just kidding. I never, I never <laughs> took one of those tests. Although I do remember a lot of testing when you're a kid and you're right about that. Sometimes it's like, oh no, we're going to move you up two grades or weird things. And I, this is a long time sure. ago, of course. My mother was like, no, no, no. He needs to be amongst his age group because yes, that happened. Yes. They do that type of thing. And all of a sudden your social skills would lack. Yeah. Well, you know, because later on they started getting into things like EQ, emotional quotient. Yeah. They were wrapped up in IQ for a long time. Then they started getting into EQ. So if you were to go back in time, you could probably identify yourself as a child. Were you high IQ, low EQ, or or whatever? Yeah. In recent times, out there on the job search, a lot of companies going into then personality tests, yes. personality quizzes. That became a big thing like 10, 15 years ago. So uh, it seems to be some sort of fetish that us humans have of testing people, trying to categorize them, trying to figure them out. But I think that if anything, we've learned that you can't really figure people out and tests may not be too accurate. Case in point here, Sal. So after graduating in 1967, Conrad attended New England College in New Hampshire for a semester before transferring to Cuyahoga Community College in Ohio. Now, Sal, an interesting point here is that one semester he'd had in New England is where he would be hiding for much of his life. I just wonder if that like planted the seed, like, oh, okay, then he's back in Ohio. So now we're getting to the bank robbery. In early 1969, Conrad went to work at the Society National Bank headquarters in Cleveland, Ohio. He worked in the cash vault as a teller, and his job involved packaging money to be delivered to branches around town. It was a position for a trusted employee. Hey, sounds like a pretty cool job, Sal. Yeah, and um, be careful with those people that you trust, because uh, they might let you down. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, according to a summary report compiled years later by the U.S. Marshal Service, to all appearances, Conrad was that all-American boy whose character was not questioned and seemed to be a model of responsibility during a turbulent time. Now, I'm assuming they're talking about the Vietnam War. This is 69. That was a turbulent time that our country was in. Yeah. Wasn't there also civil rights movement happening around that time? All that. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It was a weird tough time, tumultuous time. And so here's this guy, looks the part, likable, smart, young, ambitious. No one's going to question this guy, right? You know what I'm reminded of is the beginning of Psycho. Oh, yeah. She was trusted and trusted with this cash at this, uh, what, real estate firm. And then she takes off. Spoiler alert, she takes off and then winds up at the Bates Motel. But Similar. Uh, what, what, then it, the, it's movie it, it, <laughs> the movie pivots. The movie pivots from that movie there. Does go there. It does. It goes from a, a heist to a, yeah. a murder film. Is that called embezzlement? Does the phrase embezzlement, is that covered by this, do you think? Or does that mean something different? In Psycho? No, but I mean, like, if you say the employee embezzled money, is that just they yeah, stole and money? We get, we get into it. That is definitely one of the terms, okay. for sure. Okay. So, on Friday, July 11th, 1969, Conrad, who had turned 20 years old on the day before, went to the vault and stuffed that $250,000 in cash. Sal, how much is that again in 2021 dollars? In uh, 2021 dollars, 1.7 million, which by the way is enough to set you up if you can hide it well, if you can launder it, I guess. Think about if you had that money cash, you'd have to keep that safe. If you did go to a foreign country, how do you keep it safe? It's complicated. It becomes very complicated. You're going to have to try to wrap it up in crypto somehow, I think. I would take it in Bitcoin, yes. Yes. Well, he put that $250,000 in a paper bag and walked off with it. Now, wow. tougher to do with 1.7, but anyway, this is 69, so he has got $250,000. Now, the loss was discovered only the following 
Monday, giving him a two-day head start. Mm-hmm. Now, this is back in the day, right? This is the 60s, and so things aren't as electronically tracked and all that. Wait, well, Jason, this happened on a Friday? It did. Okay. He had the advantage that banks were not open on Saturdays, and now most branches are open Saturdays. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he had that lead time for sure. So if you did this today, you'd have to do it on Saturday. Yeah, you would. And hopefully, like, uh, Monday was closed for a holiday. That would be good, yeah. There you you need that lead time. You're right, you yeah. do. Well, there was little security at the bank, and Conrad had never been fingerprinted. Mm. Immediately after his disappearance was discovered, a warrant was issued for his arrest on charges of embezzlement Ooh. and misappropriation of funds. Mm. In September 1969, Conrad was indicted in federal court on charges of embezzlement and making a false entry in the records of the bank. So I guess he also like fudged some numbers like, sure. oh yeah, this is accounted for. Yes, yes. Now, Sal, a two-day head start, it's something, but at the same time, you've got to be plotting ahead. You don't just do this and go, I got two days, I got to figure this out. Yeah. Also, fingerprints or not, the minute you don't show up for work and there's money missing, you did it. Yeah. I'm interested in that timeline. So Monday morning, they open up the bank. Hey, yeah. happy Monday, everybody. Yeah. Uh, uh, who's here? Who's not here? And then what, do you do an automatic count? Do they do a count every morning, I wonder? Because remember, we're dealing with cash. So how do they- They may not have found it right away. I mean, he was packaging money to go around to the places. So like, Conrad's not here and they're not putting it together. But yeah. I'm sure someone's like, hey, well, those funds over there at the other society bank, and then mm-hmm. I'm sure it snowballed from there. Wow. Then there's like, Conrad couldn't have done this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he, well where is he? Are you, are you calling him? Yeah. Call his emergency contacts that are on his, <laughs> on his application. Exactly. Now, prior to the theft, Conrad had been obsessed with the 1968 film The Thomas Crown Affair, starring Steve McQueen as a millionaire bank robber. Sal, have you ever seen this movie? No, no, I've heard of it, though. I know it's a famous movie, and I, at this point, I got to see it. But no, I have heard of it, and I have heard of the remake as well. Right. I was going to say, I have definitely seen the 1999 version with Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo. Great film. And yeah, I need to see the original now, for Mm -hmm. sure. But Conrad saw it more than half a dozen times and bragged to his friends about how easy it would be to take money from the bank and even told them he planned to do so. (laughs) Whoa, this guy, you know what? I'm going to, I work at a bank. It'd be easy to rob a bank. I'm going to rob that bank. I wonder if people just thought he was kidding. Like, yeah, I think that if I were to go around saying that people, ah, Sal, always cracking jokes. I don't think they would take me seriously. Was was that People just didn't take him seriously because I would think if somebody worked at a bank and started joking around like that, I, after a while, I would start to take them seriously. If you start to say you're going to rob that toy factory, I know it may happen. Jason, as you can see, I did rob. <laughs> it's already happened. It's already <laughs> I'm, happened. I'm on the run, right? He is hiding in plain sight. Look at yep. his toys. No one would know. I shaved my head. Do you want to identify me? So in 1969, Conrad even confessed to his role in the robbery in a letter to his girlfriend and express regret for the crime. Sal, that's interesting, as I'm assuming the robbery ended the relationship, and I'm assuming he didn't include a postmark address to the girlfriend from wherever he was at this point in time. Well, if he really is uh, moderately gifted, uh, <laughs> moderately gifted. IQ, I don't think he would. But also, I am interested in the fact that they were, so they, what, they were dating Yep. He wrote the letter, then he vanished. Or he had already vanished and wrote the letter. And then she received the letter. Yeah. Wow, interesting. She got a Dear John letter, and uh, he was gone. I wonder what he's experiencing regret about. 
you can argue this, well, it's not a victimless crime. I guess the bank's a victim, I guess, but no injuries, no victims, nobody kidnapped, nobody tied up. Right. So <laughs> the most, what, smooth criminal so far. Well, D.B. Cooper style. Yeah, this is D.B. Cooper style. And similar era. This is only, what, two years ahead of D.B. Cooper. So exactly. A good time to be a criminal, I'm thinking, late 60s, early 70s. <laughs> but right away, yes, I'm excited. A good time for a heist. That's a great time. Expressed regret for the crime. I'm really... Just well, maybe because it has changed his life. And we'll get into some more oh, of this. But okay, so it wasn't a morality it, thing. Maybe like a, I, I oh, no, like, look oh, what I've wow. done. I, I'm not welcome there. I can no longer be yes, myself. I'm okay. not in that relationship. I can't yeah, just bounce yeah. down the street and see my parents. And yeah, yeah he yeah. deviated from whatever path he was on. He should have like went back immediately. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I've just seen <laughs> if I could do it. Yeah, I just wanted to test the security. Yeah, like that movie Sneakers. <laughs> so now after the robbery, Conrad first went to Washington, D.C., before moving to Los Angeles. And then in 1970, he settled in Massachusetts. So I think I would have avoided DC and LA altogether and perhaps kept a lower profile. Those are big populated cities, but he probably figured that out in the end. But is it one of those things where you want to go to the populated cities? You want to kind of get lost? That's the idea, right? Also, your money's going to go faster in LA, that's for sure. Well, okay, so that's what I I think I said earlier is like, okay, so you have money, you pull off the heist, Yep. Now, where do you go? You want to stretch the money out because obviously you're, yeah, you got to go into hiding. So this money's got to last. I'm thinking I'd have to go to Canada, Mexico. Those are you drivable. Yeah. Well, if you got a trunk full of cash. Or a paper bag in this instance. Okay. A, a paper bag and a car, but you can get to other nations from the United States. You can't yep. go to Asia or Europe without a ship or a plane. So you'd have to be somewhere drivable. But that's what I'm thinking. It's like, you got to, what now? The whole thing is like, what now? What do I do now? Well, yeah, if he's been plotting forever, when he was watching the Thomas Crown Affair, I'm sure he had ideas. So obviously, he's kind of going loose cannon. He's in D.C., he's in L.A., he hasn't been grounded yet, but then to Massachusetts. And shortly after moving to Massachusetts, Conrad assumed the name Thomas Randall. Now, it's spelled R-A-N-D-E-L-E. I'm assuming, Sal, that the second he's silent. Okay, I thought it was like, a remember Seinfeld, Vandalay? So this was like <laughs> yeah. Randallay. Is it Thomas Randallay? So in 1982, Conrad was married and the couple had a daughter. He then took a job at the Pembroke Country Club, starting as a golf pro and rising to manager. Now, Sal, it would appear that Conrad has been playing plenty of golf over the last decade to become a golf pro. Yeah, that doesn't happen overnight, unless no. you're some sort of prodigy. He's got a lot of money to burn, time on his hands. He's living the life. Yeah. Well, Conrad would also work for numerous luxury automotive dealerships for roughly 40 years. That must have been his bread and butter. So this guy's got the stash and then has a career, a couple of careers going. Apparently, he was well-liked by local police and led a law-abiding life. Now, this and the lack of fingerprints hampered the hunt for him. Now, Sal, I believe, and we said this earlier, this is so much the term hiding in plain sight. You couldn't do it any better than this guy, right? I'm a local fixture in the community. People know me. I'm the golf pro, and I'm also selling the luxury cars. And my name is Randall (laughs) with Second East Silent. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of Gus from Breaking Bad, played by Giancarlo Esposito, as he owned and operated the famous Los Polos Hermanos. Oh, yeah. And in that show, the police loved him, the community loved him, and they had no idea he was a secretive drug lord. I mean, he did it to a T, and this guy is on that path, Conrad. Okay, so Conrad and Giancarlo Esposito. 
both have the cover. Yes. And that's very smart. That is yeah. a very smart thing to do. Because I probably wouldn't. <laughs> well, you know, how does Sal pay his bills? He doesn't seem to do anything. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what is he? Is he selling those toys? I mean, how's he making it? Totally. Right. Remember uh, the coin thief? He had yeah. a job, but he had a low paying job and he had this luxury home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. He had all the accoutrements of a rich person, yet yeah. he didn't have the job of a rich person. And yeah. he was yeah. making all these jobs up. Now nah, I do this and I do that. It's like, oh my gosh. They got to go together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So now into the investigation and post-mortem discovery. While Conrad raised his family in Massachusetts, law enforcement continued to hunt for him. Go figure. Agents from all FBI field offices joined in the search, compiling notes and documentation that filled 20 binders. The search for Conrad spanned 52 years as investigators followed leads that took them to Washington, D.C., Inglewood, California, West Texas, Oregon, and Honolulu. In recent years, he was featured on America's Most Wanted and Unsolved Mysteries. Sal, had you ever heard of this case before? Probably no, not, but no. this has got some big press. I have never heard of this case before you brought it to my attention, but I'm also reminded again of the D.B. Cooper case because- <laughs> Totally. Because you think about all the time and resources right. that you have to spend to try to catch somebody who stole a certain amount, and meanwhile, you've already gone over that amount in yeah, the budget. Yeah, they've already spent yeah. $2.7 million on yeah. the manhunt. Yeah, interesting. I know, I know. The money's already been written off, but it becomes- someone else's quest in life. And we'll yeah, get to that. It gets personal. Yes. Yes. Which becomes the movie factor. Yeah. So the hunt for Conrad went on for so long that one of the deputy U.S. marshals involved in the original investigation, John K. Elliott, was succeeded on the case by his son, Peter J. Elliott, who became U.S. Marshal of the Northern District of Ohio in 2003. So I like how U.S. Marshals can just hand things off to a family member. Yeah, hey, I'm going to tap out. Just take over, Sal. You got me? <laughs> yeah. Because it's I mean, okay, so I guess the father retires, right? It doesn't right. say he's, he passed away. No, no, no. Not yet. Okay. So he retires. The son takes over his jurisdiction, I guess, and starts going over to files. Yeah. I wonder if there's a bunch of them that he was trying to solve or he had that one in particular. And they really... probably worked on it together for a long time. Wow. A father-son combo. Very interesting. Yeah. Who would play the father? Who would play the son? That Ooh. would be an interesting casting session. Yeah. Give me some time on that, but it's percolating. So now, despite his retirement, so there you go, John Elliott continued to search for Conrad until his death in March 2020. So he just kept working on the side, probably calling Peter, hey, I think I got a lead here. And then, of course, he died March 2020. So, I mean, that's right when COVID hit the country, and it was a lot of deaths right out of the gate. Don't know if it's related or not. So the case remained cold until November 2021. So very recently, Sal, when Peter Elliott determined that Conrad had been living as Randall in Linfield, Massachusetts, which is just outside of Boston. Yeah. Conrad had died of lung cancer on May 18th of 2021, telling his family his real identity on his deathbed. Wow. So that had to come as a shocker. And I wonder if any of them started hiding their assets right away. <laughs> Wait, okay. Well, okay, that, that gets complex because, yeah. Totally. You'd be like, well, he gave me a car two years ago. Are they going to come and take that away? Yeah, we have uh, the estate. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because this is where you get into, I guess, the laundering because he steals the money. Then the money becomes part of his life, becomes part of his assets, goes down to his heirs. 
Right. And then the feds come in and how do they, what do they do to the heirs? Do they take their houses away? I mean, how does all that work? It becomes very complex. I should also mention that none of that is shared here. I do not yeah. know what that part of the investigation, they've got their man and we're going to continue on the story, but we don't get into that. That is fascinating. If we ever find out anything more about that, we will come back and do a follow-up, but we'll continue on this path. But Jason, what do you think also, if D.B. Cooper on his deathbed said, I'm D.B. Cooper, well, that's a famous name. So what did this guy say? Hey, there was a case. They didn't know about this case. Well, oh, they don't even know it. his real name. Yeah, so what did he say? He's like, 52 years ago, there was a bank robbery at this time in this place, and they probably then had to research it, right? Yeah, he could have said, my real name is this. Obviously, he spent his majority of his life as this Randall, right? Well, holy cow, I just realized this. The kids in hearing the deathbed confession realize, I'm not Randallay. Yeah, exactly. That's not my name. I don't go Randallay, we're going Randall. Randall, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not Randall. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, exactly. Everything changes. I'm a Conrad. Yeah. Yeah, these kids are getting their 23 and me or whatever that's called. And they're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're going down the wrong path. Exactly. They didn't have to submit their DNA. <laughs> their dad's telling them their whole family tree and their mouths are hanging open, I'm sure. So now Elliot was tipped off to Conrad's whereabouts by an obituary for Randall, which listed his birth date as July 10th, 1947, when his real birth date was July 10th, 1949, as mentioned earlier. Additionally, his parents' first names wait, in the wait, obituary. Wait. Yeah. I believe that falls under the sign of cancer. Yeah, I got to He stay loved there. being a cancer. He, I got to stay want, there. He didn't want to change. Interesting yeah. choice. All right. So he changed his birth date two years. And in the obituary, his parents' first names, Edward and Ruthabeth. And it also mentioned New England College, which were all Conrad's, you know, part of his actual life history. His mother's maiden name, which we haven't talked about yet, was Kruger, was also listed. And Conrad's signature obtained by investigators from a college application also was highly similar, very similar to Randall's. Mm -hmm. Now, Sal, I guess you can't take all secrets to your grave. And this leads to more questions such as, did Conrad keep in touch with his mother, father, and sister over the years? Because this is a lot like being in the witness protection program. Sure. He becomes Randall. He has a whole new life. He's got money. He's got these jobs. He's part of the community. Yeah. But if he's keeping tabs with them, they know who robbed the bank. Sure. <laughs> you know? Sure. And I don't know how tight they're being watched. So I don't know the answer to this, but it's fascinating to me. So if he doesn't have a touch with them, his kids don't even know their grandparents, their aunt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's crazy. Well, I once had a friend confide in me one night. We were in our early 20s. He and I were, are drinking, hanging out. He confides in me in tears. He says he found out that his father had a whole separate family on the side. Mm. And his family then just found out about it. He had siblings, half siblings. Oh gosh. So yeah. And also, of course, going back to Six Feet Under, one of our favorite shows. When oh, yes. After Mr. Fisher passed away and yep. they, they found a secret apartment. That's right. Remember a secret that? apartment. Oh, Yeah. Oh boy, you don't know what people have, but I am fascinated by deathbed confessions because apparently these people want to get rid of this. Yeah, they wait exactly. till the last minute, but they carried that with them. And I guess it was indeed a burden. I don't even know if it was the bank robbery he was trying to confess. It's just, here's my real name. Here's our heirs. You would feel guilty about that. And I'm shocked it didn't come up sooner. I mean, this is just what we're getting here. Sure. But it sounds like he held it tight until that moment. Wow. Now, lastly, it was reported that Conrad's family will not be charged for not alerting authorities to his confession. 
doesn't get into the assets and all that, which yeah. again, we'll keep an eye out if anything ever surfaces. Now, Elliot has not disclosed how he learned of the obituary, but he did share this. I hope my father is resting a little easier today, knowing his investigation and his United States Marshal Service brought closure to this decades-long mystery. That's wow. a great so, father-son moment. Right so there. good. Fantastic. And again, we talked about this along the way, and a movie that comes to mind, a great movie, which I used to watch all the time, is The Fugitive. Yeah. Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones. And that movie, though, he's truly innocent, and yes. he's trying to prove his innocence. But you really get into, you're following his storyline, you're for him, and you're also for the U.S. Marshal Service and Tommy Lee Jones's character. So I love that dynamic, and that could be the same here. Like, you want to see this bank robber succeed, but you also want to see how the U.S. Marshals and the father-son combo. And I think it's a movie, man. In the making. Yeah. This is a fresh story. Well, I mean, it's 52 years in the making, but it's yeah. fresh now. I like the idea of cops and criminals kind of respecting each other. Yeah. They don't hate each other. They each have their job to do. And they need each other. <laughs> yeah, they do. It's one of those, uh, you and I aren't very different, you know. One of yeah, those I've seen it in so many movies. and It works. You have compassion for both the criminal and the person trying to put them away. Yeah. Heat is the same movie. Not the same movie, the same idea. You have De Niro and his crew that rob the banks, great mm -hmm. scenes in LA, the big shootouts, yeah. and Pacino's crew's trying to pop them. Mm -hmm. And they even have coffee one time, knowing one day they're going to meet and one of them's going down. Like, that's a great film. Like, make that. Make the heat of this. Mm -hmm. We don't have the big shootout, but there's a lot of cat and mouse. And I mean, you could have the deathbed scene. Well, I'm trying to think. I don't think there's been a great deathbed scene since Citizen Kane. Ooh, that's a great film. Could start here. So... That's all I got on the bank robber identified after 52 years, 1969. Fascinating story. Yeah, fantastic story. <laughs> See, really? it's got us going. We're going into script writing mode now. And again, this nobody died. Nobody was injured. Nobody was tied up. Nobody was kidnapped. Nobody was threatened. There was no ransom. No. This guy got away with a fairly perfect heist. He did have to forego everything else and start a yeah. whole brand new maybe, life. Maybe, maybe his family. We don't know. He could have got word to them and the family yeah. could have disappeared. We don't know. We, we, I we hope don't, not. Yeah. Well, because then that holds the family culpable is what that does then, if that's the yeah. case. Exactly. And we don't want to think that, that this was a whole conspiracy. Right? No. We, we hope it wasn't a whole conspiracy with the family. I mean, what did they get out of it then? Before he had the kids, his, yeah, his family. Yeah, his birth, mother, family. father, sister. Yeah. yeah, I hope that they were communicative. They maybe moved to Massachusetts. I don't know. And who knows? They didn't live as long as he did, probably, yeah. but his sister could still be alive sure. or lived longer. But well done, Theodore John, Conrad Churn, Thomas Randall. You called your shot. You were a big fan of Thomas Crown Affair. You did it. And you lived 52 years and then finally confessed and got away with it. Essentially, he got away with it. Mm. D.B. Cooper style. I bet you there's hidden clues in the movies, right? Thomas oh, yeah. Crown Affair. There's, there's some hidden stuff in there probably related to the case. Yeah. Little tips that he probably took and, and utilized. Yeah, Sal, we have to go and watch that film. We, yeah, I do want to see that. Start with the original, I guess, and then work your way up. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening, and please be sure to subscribe to That's a Crime wherever you get your podcast. You can also really help us by giving the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. And for all you listeners and enjoy sharing your thoughts, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, send us a direct message, or post a comment on our social media, which is at Just Curious Media. We also highly recommend checking out our other podcast and visiting Just Curious Media dot com.